So today we'll be reading from 2 Chronicles 33, verse 1 to 13. On um, the back, Black Bibles at the back, will um, page 402. Manasseh was 12 years old when he came king, and he reigned 50 years in Jerusalem. He did what, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, emitting the detestable practices of the nation that the Lord had disposed possessed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had torn down and re-established the altars from the Baals. He had made Asher poles and he powered, bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and served them. He built altars in the Lord's temple where the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where my name will remain forever. He built altars to all the stars in the sky in both courtyards of the temple, the Lord's temple. He passed his sons through the fire in Ben-Himon Valley. He praised witchcraft, practiced witchcraft, divination and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spirit, spiritists. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Manasseh set up a carved image of the idol which had made him in God's temple that God had spoken about to David and his son Solomon. I will establish my name for forever in his temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. I will never remove the feet of the Israelites from the land where I stationed your ancestors, if only they will be careful to all I have for, to do all I have commanded them through Moses. All the laws, the law, statutes and judgments. So Manasseh caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to stray so that they did not worse evil that the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they did not listen. So he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon, where he was in distress. He sought the favor of the Lord, his king, his God, and earnestly humbled himself before the king, the God of his ancestors. He prayed, prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. He granted his request and brought him to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. So Manasseh came to know that the Lord, Lord is God. Thank you very much. Well, it's my absolute privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, thank you for having us here this weekend. And we're going to dive into this passage, um, but we're going to ask for God's help as we do that. Join me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that we are not alone, but that you reveal yourself to us. May you do it here this morning. May you transform and renew our minds so that we may discern your will, your good, pleasing, and perfect will, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, knowledge, knowledge is a funny thing. Uh, we tend to know a lot less than we think we do. We all do this where we think we know something when really we don't. And my wife, Carmel, and I, we, we love to test our trivia knowledge. We, um, on weekends, we sit down with a coffee, we read the good weekend quiz, and we see how we go. 
And before we had kids, uh, we would go out regularly to a local pub trivia night. And uh, we still laugh about this one time. The question got asked, Bass Strait separates which two land masses? Bass Strait. Okay, now we all know our Australian geography, right? Uh, yes, nodding, yep. Yeah. Okay, well, um, there was a person at our table, and I won't, I won't name who they were. Um, they, were they knew. They were so excited when the, pers- the question got asked. They turned around. They, they were facing the... F- they turned around, and they slammed the table. They were so adamantly saying, England and France, lock it in. <laughs> Bass straight. Now, I don't know. I guess, I guess they got it mixed up with the English Channel, uh, but th- they were so adamant. But it just goes to show, um, sometimes we, we think we know when really we don't. Well, that's all right for pub trivia, but what about for knowing God? The stakes for knowing God are, are way higher. Because we think, we can think that we know God, uh, but we may not. The, the things that we think about God... Uh, may he be uh, a trusted friend. Um, God is made up religion. He's a loving father. He's a tyrant. He's a magic genie. So what we think about God, it determines how we approach him. So Psalm 9 verse 10. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Yahweh, have never forsaken those who seek you. So there's something about knowing the Lord that leads to trusting in him. Or, to put it another way, if we're not trusting in the Lord, maybe we don't know him like we think we do. The God we have in our minds may not be the God who is really there. And so I'm speaking to all of us here today, Christians and non-Christians, for followers of Jesus, do we really know the one we trust? And do we really trust the one we know? Well, today we read of King Manasseh. And it's a story you might be familiar with. Then again, maybe you're not as familiar as you think. Well, it's my prayer that we would hear this story afresh today and that God would show himself to us in a fresh way. The passage is uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, the reign of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh, he's one in a long line of kings that the book of Chronicles records. It's a book that weaves together threads in the history of Israel. And it's written after the exile... Um, to those Israelites who had returned from the land to restart the nation. And it shows from the past where they went wrong, how their disregard for Yahweh, their God, led to their demise. And it also holds out hope to the people as they rebuild because it gives glimpses from the past of what they could be as God's kingdom. Now, by the time we get to chapter 33, things haven't been going so well. Lots of the kings of Judah, they have not been following the example of their father David. They haven't been seeking Yahweh, but instead placing their love and their trust elsewhere. 
Manasseh's king, Manasseh's father, King Hezekiah, he was a notable exception. King Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. He actually got rid of the idolatry in the land and that was leading so many people astray. And also when, when he was surrounded by the full force of Assyria, that was the great global power at that point, King Hezekiah prayed to Yahweh and the Lord delivered them. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Yahweh, have never forsaken those who seek you. So now we get to King Manasseh. What sort of king will he be? Will he carry forward in the righteous footsteps of his father? Unfortunately, no. No, King Manasseh is the worst. He, like, he's the actual worst. Uh, I'm serious. Like, see it for yourself. Verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. What did Manasseh do that was so bad? Well, he did the very things that the nations before Israel had done. The wicked practice, practices of the Canaanites, of sorcery and witchcraft, it was for these very things that God said he was going to wipe them out. You can check out what God says about those practices in Deuteronomy chapter 18. There's a list of those things. You can Compare that to what's described here of Manasseh's reign. So we read in verse 3, he, re- he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had torn down, and he re-established the altars for the Baals. He made Asherah poles, and he bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and served them. So he's facilitating and actually promoting worship to other so-called gods. He's He's breaking allegiance with Yahweh and he's hedging his bets with the pagan gods, trusting that they'll take care of him if Yahweh doesn't. In verse 4, we read that Manasseh built altars for worshipping the stars in the Lord's temple. Manasseh is polluting the pure worship of the true God. In the temple, the place that Yahweh claimed as his own, that his holiness and glory would be made known there, Manasseh desecrates and distorts what was the, what the temple was supposed to show about who God is. This is shocking. And it's not just for the sheer evil that Manasseh commits. And if you're unconvinced that occultic practice is evil, we'll just notice where it leads to in verse 6. Child sacrifice. So yeah, as it says in that verse, he did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. But the shock factor is amplified by a million because he promotes false worship in the Lord's temple. Verse 7, Manasseh set up a carved image of the idol 
which he had made in God's temple, that God had spoken about to David and his son Solomon, I will establish my name forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Yahweh placed his name here, his very character and self. He set up his glorious presence in this holy place. This is where the one true saviour, holy king, faithful God would be made known. And this is where Manasseh carries out his evil and false worship, showing complete contempt for God. Manasseh's role as king was to model trust and devotion to Yahweh, leading the way for his people to follow in true worship. Instead, verse 9, Manasseh caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Now, none of this would have been a surprise Uh, to the original readers of Chronicles. When they were hearing this book for the first time, they would just be thinking, yeah, we know. Manasseh is the worst. And that's the story that Kings tells. So the book of Kings, it also records Manasseh's reign. And it is just as scathing in calling out the king's godless behaviour. In fact, Kings (laughs) lays the blame on Manasseh for the exile. So you can look that up in 2 Kings, chapter 24, 24, verse 3. We have it on the screen here. 2 Kings 24, verse 3. At the end of the narrative in Kings, when Nebuchadnezzar comes and he invades, it says, Indeed, this happened to Judah at the Lord's command to remove them from his presence. It was because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. So the Israelite readers, when you know, after they have returned from their years in captivity and having lived out the consequences for the godlessness of their ancestors, you know, such as King Manasseh, there are no surprises when they hear that Chronicles agrees. He's the worst. Thanks a lot, Manasseh. Good for nothing. And sure enough, the story continues and Manasseh, he gets his just deserts. Verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't listen. The persistent mercy of God, the stubbornness of man. Verse 11, so he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. So Manasseh finally gets what's coming to him after all that God had done for the king and every warning that had been given. Because of his refusal, Manasseh's time was up. Okay, if you're going to act like a slave to the pagan kings and their gods, well, here you go. Manasseh, the king, becomes a slave, bound in shackles like an animal pulled by a hook in his nose to Babylon. 
Now, this is interesting. This is new territory in this part of the story. It's not told in the book of Kings. Now, that's not a problem, not a problem of history. Every history writer chooses to include or not include certain events in their retelling. Now, the writer of Kings, he has his own purpose for writing. But why is the chronicler chosen to follow this thread? Well, the original readers, they might be seeing themselves in this story, might they? No, their ancestors taken captive to Babylon. For them, it was, the, it was the Babylonians that took them to exile. Here, it's the Assyrians who take Manasseh before the Babylonians come. But maybe this is some foreshadowing. Maybe Chronicles is showing them through Manasseh how, how they, what led them to the exile. And that was the warning, wasn't it, in verse 8? That was what it was getting at? Because of Manasseh's faithlessness, his feet will leave the land? Well, let's see where the story goes. Verse 12. When he was in distress, he sought the favour of the Lord his God and earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. He granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem, to his kingdom, So Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. Twist. What just happened here? In the space of two verses, Manasseh goes from being a prisoner in a foreign land as far away from God as you could conceive, and all of a sudden he's back in Jerusalem ruling God's kingdom, and he knows the Lord. Well, what does happen in between? It says he repents and the Lord hears his prayer. So the text mentions three things that Manasseh did. He, number one, sought the favor of the Lord. Number two, humbled himself greatly before God. And number three, prayed to him. Now, this is a package, right? But just to tease this out a little bit, to seek the Lord to seek his face. This is what the book of Chronicles has gone on and on about. It's the one thing that determines how everything else goes for a king of Judah is if he seeks Yahweh. That's what it's about. Now the prayer, the prayer that Manasseh prays, I think that is the concrete expression of his seeking the Lord in that moment of distress. But I'll say the crucial aspect for Manasseh in repentance, was to humble himself. He stops pretending that he's in charge, that he has autonomy from God and can live his own way. He stops fending off the insistent message from God, calling him back to the way of life. This was the ingredient missing for Manasseh, the humility to recognize Yahweh as God. So he does what he always should have done, and he seeks the Lord. And he does it by praying, but what it took for this to happen was an opening up of the hands. 
a softening of the heart, bending at the knees. Lord, I am sorry. I have been in the wrong. You are right. Please help me. And how does Yahweh respond? He heard Manasseh's prayer and he granted his request. Yahweh listened to his plea and he gave him what he asked for. He brought him back, restored him. And the result of this experience of repentance and forgiveness, at the end of verse 13, Manasseh knew that Yahweh is God. A personal, experiential knowledge of Yahweh being the real and active God in this world. This is nothing short of conversion. Now, how in the world did this happen? Like, isn't this Manasseh we're talking about? Everyone knows he's the worst. He's, that's right, he's the worst. We get it. Thank you. So what's the deal? What is the chronicler getting at? Well, it comes back to chapter 7. And I see you all, you're all nodding your head. Ah, oh, yes, yes, chapter 7. I know that. Well, that's okay. You probably might have been a while since you've read the book of Chronicles. That's okay. We're going to turn back to chapter 7 right now because we, we need to see this. So turn back to chapter 7 in the book of Chronicles. It comes right after the dedication ceremony when the temple was built. It was first built by King Solomon. He builds a temple, a place for God to dwell among his people, and he makes a request to Yahweh on behalf of his people. He says, Lord, please hear the prayers of your people from this place. And so chapter 7, it's Yahweh's answer. And essentially it's, yes, I promise I will listen. So have a look at verse 14. If my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Yes, God judges sin. You can be sure that if you continue to reject him and go your own way, only destruction awaits. But God also forgives. He hears the prayers of people who repent. The chronicler wants his readers to know that the door back to God is always open. And Manasseh proves for all of us that you are never too far gone to turn back. You could not get further from the Lord than him. But Yahweh says, if my people will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is exactly what happens with Manasseh. His prayer is heard. He, even he, is forgiven, and through him, God heals the land. So you can turn back to chapter 33, and in verse 14, we read of the three things that Manasseh does that indicate Yahweh is at work to bring restoration and healing to the land. So he carries out a building project for the city of Jerusalem. He rearranges military defences, and most importantly, he purifies the worship of Yahweh 
So keep reading in verse 15. He removed the foreign gods and the idol from the Lord's temple, along with all the altars he'd built on the mountain of the Lord's temple and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. He built the altar of the Lord and offered fellowship and thank offerings on it. Then he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Manasseh once caused thousands of people to stumble because of his pitiful example. Now he actively encourages his people to serve the true God. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Yahweh, have never forsaken those who seek you. This is a story of true repentance and the power of God to change hearts and bring wayward people back to himself. As it says in verse 18, there are other events in Manasseh's life, but this is the story that Chronicles wants to tell. And it's not the story we were anticipating, was it? It doesn't tell Israel how they ended up in Babylon through sin, no. Surprisingly, it's about how they got back through repentance. This story doesn't so much show us the path that leads to exile as it shows the path to restoration. And what is that path? Repentance, for sure, humbling oneself before God. But even more fundamentally, it's the mercy of God. Remember, what was it that Manasseh learned? Or or better yet, how did Manasseh come to know that Yahweh is God? It was through an experience of his mercy. Manasseh knows that Yahweh is the God who forgives. He got a taste for himself of what his ancestors professed. The Lord is a forgiving God, full of faithful love and grace. He shows mercy to those who call on his name. He doesn't treat them as their sins deserve. Now, again, does he ever punish sinners? You betcha. For those who refuse to respond to his voice, who are set in their rebellion against him, against God, well, yeah, what hope do they have? Destruction awaits. But, but, just like the story shows, God is ready to forgive anyone who would humble themselves and turn back to him. He still gives ear to the criminal. His hand is still open to the worst of sinners. Is this the God we know? The one who loves the unworthy. The one who restores the irredeemable. This is the God that Jesus Christ reveals to us as Father. In the Gospels, Jesus demonstrates the love and mercy of his Father by eating and drinking with the dregs of society, prostitutes, tax collectors. And don't the people hate it? 
Jesus, what are you doing? But as Jesus answers in Luke chapter 15, the heart of God for a sinner who repents is a joyous celebration for finding that which was lost. A lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son. Our Father in heaven is the one who runs out to welcome home his wayward son. He embraces the sinner that turns back to him. He, he throws a party. That's our God. But I ask, do we know him? Friends, this, this is what I want to say this morning. We are not practiced in humble repentance. We are not practiced in humble repentance. We miss out on experiencing God's grace because we don't go to God for grace. If we're honest, we don't like to be in that position. But those who know the Lord trust in him. This is the position that God delights in. The son in the parable who humbled himself. Father, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I need your help. Manasseh, in this story, who humbled himself. Lord, I am the worst of sinners. Please help me. But man, it is hard, isn't it? Even as Christians, and and maybe especially as Christians, this doesn't feel right. It's probably easier for us to see how Manasseh needed to change his ways. For us here, do we feel that we need to repent? Like we know that we're supposed to repent, but don't we feel like we're supposed to be beyond this by now? Here's where I think we've gone wrong. We think that now that we're Christians... Now that we're serious about Jesus, we should be better. We shouldn't have anger issues or struggle with pornography or be preoccupied with our image, how people look at us and what brands we own. We're not supposed to have trouble with what words we say, gossip, meanness, lies, or or what thoughts we have. Real Christians wouldn't be as weak or as selfish as I find myself. Repentance is hard for us because we think, oh, Jesus has done so much for me. Surely I should be able to walk worthy of him. Friends, God has two things for us to say on this. One. We never move beyond our need for God's mercy. We never grow out of that position of humble repentance. No, the the way we need to approach God today is the same way that we began, in humility, seeking his help. So we don't grow out of this position of humble repentance. Rather, we grow into it. We grow into it. That's one. 
uh, and two, we will find mercy in Christ. There is help in him. The story of Manasseh in Chronicles, it presses its readers to trust that the promise of God to his people is true. If my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, and I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And we have that same promise. Although we still struggle with the sins of anger, lust, worshipping our appearance, God is rich in mercy. Indeed, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Yahweh, have never forsaken those who seek you. If we know the Lord, let us trust in him. Let us humble ourselves and seek his help and forgiveness. We don't need to pretend. We can be real about where we're at if we're struggling with sin. Friends, I am sometimes controlled by my anger. And I use it to hurt people. Self-image. How people view me, I'm sad to say that my reputation before people can often mean more to me than what God thinks of me. It's hard not to feel that way as I stand before you this morning. But I'm counting that I don't stand on my two feet, but on the mercy of God. Grounded in the love of God, secure in his grace, I can admit that I need help. What is it that you need help with? That you've been too ashamed to ask? Is there something that you need to confess to God right now? Friends, his grace is enough. His grace is enough for you, me, and Manasseh. Let's approach God like we believe that it's true. And let's walk in the freedom that this brings, freedom with one another. I I pray that God's grace will keep forming this church community to be one of openness and forgiveness. Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Yahweh, have never forsaken those who seek you.